0: Bandwidth for the Weird Things Podcast provided by WiredTree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to WiredTree.com.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Weird Things Podcast. I'm Andrew Maine, joined by Mr. Brian Brushwood. And only Brian Brushwood. Finally shed all that dead weight holding us back. Am I right? Yeah, and, and Mr. Justin Robert Young. See, that's the smartest he's ever sounded. Wait a second. <laughs> I get what you were saying. <laughs> uh... Justin's not here because his brother's getting married. Oh, what an excuse! So I can't. The younger do the weird brother's things, getting Buck. married. <laughs> that's true. Right. Younger brother. So Justin's the older unmarried. He's brother. the
0: old spinster.
1: Spinster yep. gerbs is what we old call. Old made, young. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Man, this is going to be a geeky, geeky episode of weird things. I'm kind of excited.
1: <laughs> Which ah, uh, how you uh, how you put. You know, extra layer of geek on something that's already you know the the single dorkiest thing we do. And I have people who are like, like from, you know, the TV business, and people are like, you know, the show. I'm like, oh, I heard you do a thing called Weird Things. I'm like, well, there's another side of me. (laughs) It's like, it's like, wait a minute,
0: this isn't that 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 guy who just walks around being a jerk to people from TV. This is no,
1: here I'm just a jerk to two guys. (laughs) (laughs) well let's let's dive in man this will be fun all right i'm ready to dive in too because uh brian you feel it in the air you know it it's it's been a kind of a been a rough winter but uh Uh, you know we're gonna turn that corner and and there's a lot of excitement out there i was in new york city and it was kind of cold but you know there was a there was a charge in the air it was electric brian um
0: uh, uh, yeah sure i guess i mean i know it's cold i i read today that the that the Great Lakes have almost entirely frozen for the first time since 1994.
1: I'm talking, I mean, but the idea that we know it gets better and you can just feel the energy, literally feel the energy. A neighborhood in Chelsea, New York, was shut down because of stray voltage. I'm sorry, it sounded like you said stray voltage, as if
0: like electric current was (laughs) a lost puppy that could follow you home and then kill you.
1: Apparently, um, (laughs) there's a thing Add this to the list of things to scare you. Okay. Okay. Things that may kill you. And when you're in a big city, you're thinking like, hey, this is, this is other than the humans trying to kill me and maybe getting run over by a bus. This is a pretty safe place, right? Sure. Give you or know? take or the, the occasional
0: terrorist attack. You know, you're fine.
1: Yeah. Other than that, but I mean, statistically speaking, they're like no wolves, you know, roaming, uh, you know, we're we're, we've, we've, we've banded together in this ultra huge cave to sort of like for, sure. you know. We're we're at, we're at well, an all time low for uh,
0: for Sasquatch attacks. You know, not yeah, not too dude. many people dying of that. Well, you know, great do
1: you great get into squids, that?
0: giant squids. I haven't seen a one like in the city in 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 a in a dog's age.
1: Although, uh, just a side note, giant squid sightings are actually on the increase. Oh, is this? <laughs> so we <laughs> file that one away. <laughs> that used to never get sighted. Now they are. So that's a whole other thing. We can get into that later. But a neighborhood in Chelsea, apparently uh, they had to block off the neighborhood because a they found that a uh, one of the underground electrical cables, you know, the winters kind of freezes stuff and then it thaws and then it can be pretty damaging on it, had Whoa. basically there was a fault in the line. And then it had like maybe charged some electrical grading or something like that. And then it rained, and then there's a lot of salt in the soil, and it basically created an entire electric current throughout so the neighborhood. So wait a
0: minute. Like, like now, okay, so help me, and in, in, in this case, we're probably both speculating, and we'll see, have a race to see who can get to Wikipedia first. But I thought, like, we think of water as conducting electricity, but if I remember my high school physics, it's not the water itself. It's like the metallic compounds in the water. In this case, the it. salt. Yes. Oh, okay. But 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 does that continue when the water is frozen? I assume so. I guess it well, no,
1: it's wet. It, it it rained, so it was moist. And and so any event, uh, they had an entire block they had to shut down because if you touched it, you could have been electrocuted. Oh my god! I mean, doorknobs, railings.
0: See, okay, and this this just opens up like even more stuff to me because like I always wonder. I mean, obviously, lightning strikes the ocean, and there are fish in the ocean, and all of the fish don't die. So it's like I, like I, I just I wish I understood electricity a little bit better. Well, and by a little it, bit better, I mean at all.
1: I think that I think that you know we could reason this out. I would think that certainly fish in that area might get electrocuted. Um, you know what? I'm going to type. You in. Would, but again, it, it's it's it, it it the the amount of energy disperses inversely. You know, as you you go outwards.
0: Okay, so. I'm gonna, I, I just typed in here, do fish die when lightning strikes the o- ocean?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh,
0: and it takes me straight to an article titled, Do Fish Die When Lightning Strikes the Ocean? And uh, let's see Our what the mind. answer is. Lightning forms with electricity, blah, blah, blah. When the leaders connect, a huge current, 30,000 amps, flows down. Uh, Seawater, unlike air, is a good conductor as it contains salt. Rather than recreating an irregular, narrow ionized path, the charge spreads out sideways and downwards in an expanding half sphere. So I think it would be like the inverse square law, right? Where it's like very quickly. I think what I just said. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, it doesn't. That's all it says. It doesn't really tell me. It says uh, would just feel a, uh, any fish within a few tens of meters would yeah. probably be killed, but beyond that, they'd feel just a tingle. Yeah. Man.
1: Yeah, because it's spreading out over that extremely dense area. So,
0: you know. So, but I guess it's maybe not the same with an electrical grid on ice, or, or you said rain. So it's it's rain. it was wet. It okay. was slick.
1: So and it was just the, the slick layer of moisture everywhere had created an electrical field, like highly. They said it. And they said it went from uh, one volt to forty volts of. Which trying to figure out what they meant by voltage and, you know, cause it's amperage and stuff. I guess this is what, some sort of high yeah, level electrical stuff. I don't understand. It's,
0: it's the, the, like the amps is the total uh, throughput, whereas like the volts is the amount of the charge. Cause like, like a taser has very low amperage, but it's like 100,000 volts or whatever. So it hurts a lot, but doesn't, doesn't kill you.
1: Yeah. So here they said it was, there was a stray volt and 41 stray volts, which uh, again, man. I love uh I love the idea
0: of Stray Volts. That needs to be like our uh, uh we need we need to have a volleyball team called the Stray Volts.
1: I I'm wondering if it's all part of some sort of, you know, advanced publicity for Amazing Spider-Man 2.
0: <laughs> because I because to promote Electro. <laughs>
1: yeah. We saw a
0: blue guy walking away. <laughs> that would be amazing maybe he could so, uh maybe uh, maybe somebody could uh, cosplay show up and be like oh, i'll save the day and grab onto stuff and then like and then vanish in a poof of smoke
1: <laughs> and, and electrocute and die <laughs> i mean i don't want that to happen <laughs> i'll uh, just laugh as you say it no it makes sense seems legit <laughs> uh so this was kind of interesting this is a a tech thing that just happened um We've talked a lot about before about Bitcoin, et cetera. And, and, and you know, I I I a couple of years ago wrote a thing about just my issue with it was that like it doesn't really have any inherent value. It just is a way to, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, virtual beanie babies. Right. 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 And it's in and the, the, the currency has the most value to people who have. Let me put it this way. Goods or services of which. They don't want to trade on the open market. <laughs>
0: yeah, although from what I understand, like Bitcoin is relatively anonymous. Like, if there's a criminal investigation, though, like you can trace the history of a uh, Bitcoin's entire like everyone it got handed off from from place to place to place. Is that right? Well, they have like a chain, but the
1: problem is the chain doesn't necessarily tie into any identifying information. Yeah, I guess you could use proxies to for, for, yeah, for, so access your wallet. So I mean, and 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 the 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 thing I brought up was like, okay, so you have this currency, this virtual currency that if like, I don't know, hypothetically, I had a bunch of credit stolen credit card numbers and I wanted to sell them and I wanted a way to, you know, to get liquid. This is great. This is an absolutely great way. And that's not a reason to that's not a I'm not using as a justification to say, therefore, we shouldn't use said currency at all. I mean, like I I have no problem anonymity and currency, all that, et cetera. Right. I think it's just important to know why a lot of people are excited about it and, you know, where is hundreds of millions of dollars that are going into Bitcoin coming from in some cases. But uh, one of the things we brought up was the idea that uh, once you have this piece of software that can generate money by using up, comp- you know, computing cycles, you look at how many infected computers that are out there. Now, we have uh, our buddy Dan Dirks with uh two weeks ago was – at the other end of a DDoS attack, a distributed denial of service attack, which was like had like 40 gigabits of you know of attack, which is huge. That's a huge amount of of data being thrown at them by multiple computing systems. And you know our assumption was that it was probably random and not really or you know aimed at straw poll. It was probably aimed at taking a server or a related you know IP address down that belonged to an actual target and. Unfortunately, Linode, the service provider, would not give us another IP address to test that. So we ended up moving it to another server on another provider, and everything really worked fine. Which, huh. um, but point is, is that you have all these computers out there that you could, that are infected, and the theory is, you know, what if you start installing your own Bitcoin generating software on these? You have, and that could even be a reason that Bitcoin came to exist, is you had people looking at these infected computing systems and saying. How can I turn them directly into money instead of serving up spam or doing you know DDoS attacks? Well, now they now, can, yeah. But here's the, here's the fun part, okay. Now what just happened is uh, we found a case of a computer being infected to generate Doge coins, which is another Bitcoin alternative. Sure. Do you know what computer this was? Have you heard this? Uh, no,
0: no, I haven't. I just got excited that we moved so quickly from Bitcoin to Doge coins.
1: <laughs> the uh, the computer was the. Harvard supercomputer cluster. Oh, my God. Wait, <laughs> how, who infected that and how? We don't know who infected it or how just yet, but they found on there, they found that somebody had installed software on there to be basically trying to generate dope coins over... Over again,
0: man. I I don't know how much of a primer we need to give to folks who uh, uh, who are listening. I, my guess is if you're listening to the Weird Things podcast, you're fairly savvy. But if you don't know what we're talking about, I guess bitcoins. The you mine bitcoins by basically uh, running a bunch of operations to find what like a, a very rare, like extremely long prime number or something. Basically, yeah. And and uh, uh, in, in by doing so, it creates stuff that are an encrypted number. Basically, that's that's extremely rare and 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 by its 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 scarcity is its only value is the difficulty of, of breaking it but then dog coins i guess came out of the reddit community as best i'm able to tell but Probably, uh, yeah it, it it's all you know kind of a half joke everybody's mining dog coins a similar setup a singular sim, similar scheme only it doesn't appear that anybody like it's basically they're they're treating it more like monopoly money where everyone's printing it and just throwing it around to each other so mm-hmm. weirdly whereas like it would definitely be a malicious for profit thing for somebody to install a bitcoin miner on on other on university resources cuz it costs money you know when you're running all these cycles it it increases the the energy uh, output uh but the but, like, dope coins, for some reason, gets a pass in my book. It just feels a little bit harmless to me.
1: Yeah, I don't know if, you know, as far as Dogecoins, I don't know if they're, you know, I don't know if they're a totally a, a joke or not. Uh, it's created by programmer Billy Marcus of Portland, Oregon. I grew up there. And he wanted to have a, he wanted to reach a broader demographic than the Bitcoin one. Um, so, I mean, it's it looks to be a legitimate
0: yeah Currently but it's like state. nobody nobody accepts them and there's nobody who uh, is there an exchange rate for Dogecoin. well to there Bitcoin's? are exchanges
1: for Dogecoin. what uh yeah I mean like like a million dollars so i mean there's 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 trading of it what have you so and, and you know what i I guess here's the thing to think about it's like yeah it looks like it's i mean it's just as legitimate as you know bitcoin not as much interest in it but still it's sort of this fun thing but you know, if you have people bidding on armor and World of Warcraft, then why couldn't dog coins have you know, have uh value? So well, and that's that's one of the things that we've talked about this on the show before,
0: where it's like I can't wait until virtual goods are involved in real crimes, where somebody where somebody goes to jail for stealing a, uh, a, a made up sword that never existed, well, and whether been, or not that's part of the game. There have been some
1: cases like that already of of you know account theft, things like that, and using like computers fraud, you know, to do that. Um, to try to bring that's always been the, kind of the murky legal areas trying to understand like well what are the rules of the game is this okay or not well, well, you know? and,
0: and and I don't know if we talked about it on this or another show but for example games like Eve Online where backstabbing betrayal fraud are all literally parts of the games so those yeah. are features not bugs and there were people who ran a full-on Ponzi scheme and then once it was over they said yes we thought it would be funny to try to run a Ponzi scheme because we thought that would be a good in-game experience for us and they were right and they got, yeah. they got, they got all this in Game ISK uh, the currency and ran away with it, and the folks around the game are like, "Yep, it's Eve Online. Hi, have a good time."
1: I, I think we need to investigate creating our own currency. I'll just tell you that that's my thinking. Um, go- but but back to the supercomputer hijacking. So somebody hijacked it, ran some uh, soccer, and the thing is, is that. Uh, Computers now can become so specialized as far as how the hardware works and what they do that taking over that supercomputer sounds like a great way to generate them but that computer isn't really configured specifically for doing the algorithm like for generating bitcoins or Dogecoins. coins if you had bought like 12 AMD video processor cards that were tuned to doing this you'd be this is effective
0: right yeah the uh, and I guess I guess most of them it turns out uh, that the GPU processing is faster or better t- Tailored to uh, to mine bitcoins and dog coins.
1: So nerdy enough for you?
0: <laughs> we went from zero to, to Stephen Hawking. You minutes. You ready, ready to go to the next
1: level here? Heck yes. <laughs> okay. We I think we mentioned this. We I think we talked about it, and geeked out a little bit about this last week, which was uh ooh, I, I think um I don't think – I think we we mentioned that SpaceX has a new launch coming up. Yes. And Elon Musk talked about his optimism for being able to do an actual launch to Mars of the 10 to 12 years, right? That guy's so good. You know what? It's going to be just him. Like like the rest of the world won't
0: get there fast enough. And he's like, screw you. Going to die on Mars. Bye.
1: Yeah, I have have some thoughts on that. But it was announced, we found out this week, that the launch coming up, the March 16th launch, is going to have – I think it's March 16th is the rocket. The Falcon 9 rocket is going to have landing struts on it.
0: What? So they're, they're actually going to try to return the, the reusable pieces back to base
1: into the ocean. First, okay. the ocean, they're going to try to do a controlled splashdown. Now they did, they did before they did a other first stage. The rocket has two stages, first stage, second stage, first stage, gets it up to the upper atmosphere, a little up like, you know, there. And then the second stage launches it further out. First stage is huge. Got a bunch of rockets on there. It's very valuable. Right now, every single rocket we've ever launched, the first stage ends up in the ocean or blowing up, and is not very usable. Right, it, it's it's like hopping on an airplane. And parachuting out, and then letting the airplane crash into, into the ocean. <laughs> the yeah, ocean. <laughs> man.
0: It, well, and we've talked about this before because it's like, and and that figure that you expressed just fundamentally changed everything. The idea that we could get to space for roughly the fuel expense of flying as a uh, seven thirty seven around the world is that what you said, yeah. or seven seventy seven? But like, uh, but like, all of a sudden, like that's practical. Like, like there are. There are oil barons who do that now. And then the, the, the idea that we could get payloads up into space, that's, that's astonishing.
1: Yeah, so so this thing's – and I was showing our, our friend Jaime there. If you go to SpaceX.com and you click on Falcon Heavy, where you can see the next generation rocket they actually want to try and launch this year. And he goes, what are those things at the bottom, these sort of these you know delta-shaped things. And, and I said, those are the landing struts,
0: man. All right. So I'm clicking on the Falcon nine right now. I'm at space. If so you go to
1: Falcon 9. heavy, I think you want to go to the Falcon. Falcon heavy. heavy. Got it. So the Falcon heavy is the next generation rocket. They want to have it's one rocket with two boosters on either side. And if you go to spacex.com it's really a gorgeous website, a lot of fun stuff to look at. So if you scroll down and you go look and you start seeing the rocket and you look at the design on it, you see at the bottom these these Oh my weird-
0: god, they look you know what? They look like uh, like Oldsmobile fins from the 1950s or
1: something. It yes. looks like
0: they're up there just to be fashionable.
1: Yeah, those are actually landing struts and so the rocket they're going to be launching again in a month. In a month will have Landing starts on it what their goal is is they're going to send the rocket up it's going to send its payload into orbit then the first stage that big huge thing that takes it off of the pad and gets it really high is going to basically do a controlled reentry it's going to go you know orientate itself so it's you know butt facing the earth Fall back down, or actually, phrase nose first, so it's got the heat shielding, and then do a rotation, and then it's going to have the the thrusters are going to do a control burn shortly, you know, to to slow it down, and then do another burn to allow it to do a soft impact into the ocean. Do you think that they're going to have boats out there to try to
0: actually get video? Because I mean, I I know that they'll have all kinds of telemetry on there to say, you know, the Mm -hmm. instruments will be like, yeah, it pretty much landed okay, but it's like. That is nothing compared to the visual of watching this thing essentially land on the ocean.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So they, they tried a version of this before, and they're actually able to control the— to do sort of a softer reentry to it. And then there was a, a stabilization problem because it had a spin. And there's like—you know, you're having—the way those motors function and where they're, you know the turbulence, et cetera. But they felt comfortable enough to say, okay, we're going to do this. Plus, we're going to add the extra hardware of the landing pads to see if we can get this, which, if it's successful— We could be looking at a launch pad landing in a year.
0: Excuse the sound of my brain exploding right now. You know, this is so amazing to me because I and I remember, you know, I am the converted. I remember it was three years ago. No, I guess. um, Yeah. Three years ago that uh, I was in Florida and you guys were really talking to me and selling me on how great, you know, the SpaceX revolution and what how it was going to be good for NASA because they'd be able to get payloads up so much cheaper and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. The I re, I remember it being a discussion on this podcast about whether or not they could do it, whether or not it was a pipe dream, and mm-hmm. the fact that not only yes, obviously they could do it, and they're crushing it, but the fact that they have the ability to go so far beyond as to as to just like exp- I mean, because you, they're not being paid to to test all these, they're they're mm-hmm. delivering payload. Actually, is this a test or are they actually delivering a payload? They're
1: here? doing a payload.
0: So yeah, so so while they're doing a payload, they're all mm-hmm. like, hey. Would say we uh, try to land this thing while we're at it. I mean, that is yeah, that is astonishing.
1: Yeah, you know, they're right now their launch manifest. Two thirds of the stuff they're putting in the space is private. Stuff it's commercial. they mm-hmm. they become a very viable company as far as doing that. They've had five successful launches now of the new of the Falcon nine point one whatever. They had a partial. They only had like one partial failure when they were doing a NASA resupply, and the second stage was supposed to deliver, or the primary stage was supposed to deliver another kind of cargo. But because they had to shut off one engine, NASA gets priority and says you can't, you know, do the other payload. You need to focus whatever. So it was more of a, they probably could have, but because it was NASA, because the customer NASA's paying top bill, they say, if this isn't completely optimum, then you have to continue doing this X. Anyhow, I digress. Point is, you know, the, the, the short form of it is, is, in a month, we're going to try to bring a rocket back down to Earth without it crashing.
0: We're talking about essentially landing Flash Gordon style, just, you know, yeah. Buck Rogers landing that thing. Uh, I did not realize that the Falcon Heavy is the most powerful rocket ever used.
1: It'll be since the Saturn V.
0: Okay. well, will see. Or I guess, uh, yeah, it says the world's most powerful rocket, but I guess we're not using Saturn Vs anymore.
1: But, it would, uh, yeah, it would be the the it would be. There's another one that comes after, like the fat the Falcon. It, as far as I understand, it's the most powerful since the the Saturn V. Fifty-three thousand
0: kilograms is
1: a lot. So, Elon Musk has talked about the idea of getting to Mars could happen a lot sooner than we realize, but like ten to twelve years. And you know, going on, like he says, given recent developments, meaning what he's done <laughs> you know, given recent developments that some people have done <laughs> um, this guy thinking that it can be much more sooner so <sighs> we're looking at they have they have oh by the way if you go back to that falcon heavy brian sure. go back to that falcon so brian's on the falcon heavy website at spacex.com scroll down and go look for the tech specs or up or down where it yeah, says oh, it's there we up go it technical overview uh okay, 70 me meters what? Okay, so read to me like the first thing says. What is it? Height.
0: Yeah, the height is sixty-eight point four meters, so seventy meters, which is like what three, four, five times taller than my house. Okay. Stages. Two. Uh, two stages. Boosters. How many? How many stages did the did the Saturn have? Saturn had it was like, like three stages. Yeah. Uh, payload to, to low Earth orbit uh, is fifty-three thousand kilograms. Two boosters. Uh, <laughs> oh, anything else? There, oh wait, wait, hold on. There's a little. There? There's just a little thing that says there, oh, by the way, and if you want to go to Mars, payload to Mars, is 13,000 kilograms. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. <laughs> now, now, what is it when it says GTO? Uh What is that? It says payload to GTO. Uh, GTO
1: is, I think, uh, uh geostationary Yeah, orbit. there you go. Got it. Yeah. I don't know why it's geo to, GTO. But anyhow, so they actually have on there saying, oh, yeah, and if you want if, if you to go to Mars, just hypothetically – I mean um,
0: I guess I guess at this point I mean how long do you have to be in the business looking at these numbers before you just decide like screw it let's I mean there's literally no reason we can't go let's just just start advertising so
1: well that's his plan his plan is with or without you know involvement of you know our government other governments there's going to be anything. he's like he's going to be wealthy enough to finance you know if you've looked at this Tesla stock price lately Um, you and I have, because we both invested. (laughs) Yes. Uh he's gonna have the money to go there (laughs) without with or without he's gonna have the hardware and the money to go there. So it'll happen. Now, okay, so here's what here's what I'm wondering, right? Now you could look at all
0: this and 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 attribute Musk's success to a couple of things. First of all, you know, the fact that he is daring to go into areas that have previously proven unpopular you could say that the technology has just advanced to a certain phase where all of a sudden it's economically viable but i i wonder what is happening internally what kind of corporate culture he's creating that is motivating people to to work so hard and hit this level of quality on everything
1: so i can tell you i mean the two things that i've learned i mean one is like it is the company that young engineers and scientists and they've got almost four thousand people it's it is the hot company to work for cooler than google cooler than apple cooler than facebook spacex particularly if you're into the engineering side of stuff it's it is it's it's the new nasa it's the new nasa the new google new apple new everything i've heard you know i i worked with uh uh, one of the guys who like did special effects and stuff whenever we had pyro or stuff like that on my show, you know, his like he had like a he has a son-in-law that worked there worked there and he was saying like, oh yeah, it's really hard though, it's very stressful, da 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 da, and it's like, it's rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know? Well, and and uh, I I ran into somebody at Nerdtacular last year who uh, who was wearing a SpaceX like you know Dragon. Uh, windbreaker and uh, he had recently left spacex and and he spoke of it very oh there you go just like yours he uh he spoke of his time there very very fondly but but also kind of hinted that uh that it's intense you know it's like you are you are part of a group mission and that it's clear that they have big ambitions
1: yeah i i couldn't see myself working in that environment because i'm a flake. <laughs> so. This is what I want to get to, Brian. This is where I want to I want to bring this, steer this conversation towards is we're looking at within the next the next decade, Mars missions, Mars colonization. The idea that we're not just sending, it's not a, and you got it, and it's like, it's not a, let's send a guy to the moon and bring him back and then shake, you know, or shake each other's hands and clap each other on the back and go, are right, we did it? All right. Now what? This is, this is the la nina this is the santa maria this is sending the columbus fleet to there this is saying excuse me this is sending you know beyond that i mean this is sending you know this is the colonists this is jamestown this is the idea of we're sending people there with say, the idea could, could be could be jamestown could be roanoke the, uh, could the, be. the the lost colony sure could be could be that We're sending people there with the idea that we're building a permanent civilization there. Elon Musk is trying to build an economic model to make it sustainable, not just the idea of one shot, we're there, and then we're done, but the idea of how do we have transit. They have rockets called MCTs, which are Mars Colonial Transporters, which is the idea of going back and forth. You buy your ticket to Mars, and you get a return ticket with that whenever you're going to use it. So in the next decade, we're looking at the idea of building a colony on Mars, right? Now- God. My question for you, like, like
0: I, I, I look, I'm, I'm late thirties now. So it's like, by the time I'm about to turn 50, relatively healthy, uh, we're, we're going to be hearing about the, the, the Mars colony being built. That is astonishing.
1: Yeah. And, in, in, in looking at the possibility that you and Bonnie wanted to retire to Mars, that would be a reality.
0: Yeah. So tell me this, and I don't think we've discussed the merits of where you should go first. Cause we've talked about how there's so much more room to build colonies inside of asteroids. And I know that we have, you know, certain ventures mm-hmm. that are going to mine asteroids and so on. But given the complexities and difficulties of setting up a colony on Mars, like, what what is the advantage? you got to go so much farther. Like, why not a lunar colony? Or, or why not an asteroid colony first?
1: Um, I would say the advantage of a Martian colony, one, is that you're going to have a lot more... You you can build into the surface. Then into the surface, you're going to have better radiation shielding. You're going to have much more availability of water, as far as we know it. It's closer. You've you've got the difficulty of doing the landing, but you're going and you're going to have gravity if you want to spend there six months, you know, a year or two years. I think that I I I think that my my thing is like I think we'll spend most of our time in between worlds, but on uh, living on worlds once technology gets to a certain point. You know, right. that's the caveat, is that once you're 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 able to live in and, and that's a great thought experiment is like if you had the the hundred year vert you know what's what's going to be oculus rift virtual reality like a hundred years from now you know and if you could spend your life inside of a ten foot by ten foot container and not realize it or feel like you're missing out on anything you then know what does it which, matter sure yeah i i think but but the, the question that's curious to me is so musk and company go to Mars right they build a colony legally who's that colony what kind of government institution is it
0: i'll i'll tell you what it's uh, this is these are the practical questions that get uh, answered in the mars trilogy i think it's been like over a year since i recommended it but uh, King I, stanley robinson's red mars green mars blue mars is very much about this question
1: i know i know and it's there's been and, and there's been a a a lot of stuff in in that area you know there's been a lot of books and stuff that deal with this sort of stuff and they keep trying to overlay you know what happened in, in the war between you know the, the Revolutionary War and other things with there and and uh, I think those books are great and I just don't I, I think that they're trying to they're trying to tell stories that were told before because we're they're, we're trying to imagine the, past, the future is a bigger version of the past I don't see it being a hey we're gonna tax them and did it kind of this sort of thing and looking in the near term you know what's gonna happen in twenty years before we start genetically evolving ourselves to be Martian children or whatever like realistically we I mean I'm saying like in our world.
0: Right. Well, okay, but 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 here's the thing, like, like, let's say let's say at first it's going to be just like Antarctica, right, where it's like there's an international treaty. Nobody can own anything, et cetera, et cetera. Well, why do you say that? Well, I mean, well, I guess uh, extrapolating what we've done before. You know, that's that that seems to be the attitude for the moon. That seems to be the attitude for Antarctica. It would seem at first that that would be what we would do with Antarctica.
1: Or I'm sorry, with Mars. Let me interrupt for a second. We haven't attempted to colonize those things. There is no attempt to colonize. There is no attempt to we're going to go here and we're going to build. You know that the, the, the a, you know billions of dollars of money are going to be spent on people living here and and going there. You know Mars. You know I mean we have the we have rules as far as like Antarctica and stuff, and as far as places to go, your your money is spent elsewhere. But the idea that. And also, you know, if if you were a billionaire that wanted to try to go do this, and talking about as a private individual, governments would stop you if you tried to do that in Antarctica. Right. right.
0: Well, I guess, and and that, uh, but to begin with, like, I don't think we're going to go straight from zero to colonization. I think there will be an established research station first, and during this period, it will be just like those things. And uh, the the question is, like, at what point do they? Uh, I I think that you essentially. Move into colonization, but you don't call it colonization for the longest time. Instead, you say join. Musk
1: is calling it colonization.
0: Well, I mean that's that's fine. I I think he'll stop saying that as soon as. As soon as there's boots on the ground, i think I think legally you know make sure to call it uh you know come join the research facility, explore Mars, be part of the solution. maybe I, someday we can actually plan on colonizing all the while you're moving bodies there, but the moment you call it colonization that's a problem because you have people emigrating from the United States, and that uh, well, that's
1: yeah, I, but i don't i but again why is that a problem
0: uh well, because uh, his facilities are all based in the United States, and should he cross the u s government and, and... why are
1: you? But again, you're, you've, you've assumed there's going to be this antagonism. All of a sudden, the U.S. government's going to say, "No, don't do this, or you can't do this, or whatever." Uh, you know?
0: Yeah. What What about our entire history of governance makes you think that it wouldn't happen? Why? But we're why? not
1: we're not really a colonizer. The United States, like we have, if you look at like the history of whenever we've we've historically speak, and we've, we've our you know our boundaries and stuff, we have. Ton, you know, We have like five commonwealths, places like that, and things that we've, we've, you know, liberated places and not tried to seek to colonize them. You know, we've been, you know, our, our policy's been, you know, it, it's not been a, a, we're not an imperial process, or we're not really necessarily even a, a, a colonizer in that sense.
0: Well, but then by that logic, then, then why, why are you worried at all? It sounds to me like you're saying that there wouldn't be more people who wanted to colony, colonize.
1: What are you? I'm I'm confused. Are you talking about the government? Or are you talking about people? Yeah. Well. Okay.
0: Uh, I guess here's what I'm saying. Is is yes? Historically, the gov- the United States has not had a problem with losing lots of people to uh, colonize some other part of the uh, part of the world. But once they do, and once it's on paper, and once they see it happening, I I think the United States is. Gonna gonna put the brakes on it. I think they're they're gonna start requiring that you get approval to go to Mars. That you have to pay some fee to cover all the taxes for the rest of your life to go to Mars. And all I mean, whatever they can do, I think they're gonna try to do.
1: So if we look at like, let's look at like expat communities we have right now in Costa Rica, Mexico, places like that. Yeah. So you have a large amount of social security checks get sent to Mexico because you have retirees from here say, well, you know what, my money will go further if I go down there and that that's caused, you know, some tension, whatever like that, but that's perfectly legal. There's no legislation in process to stop people from doing that, to going outside of this country to go live.
0: Yeah. That's- well, and, and, uh, uh again, they, the, the government can't shut down, the uh the airplane industry or or the the RV industry that makes it possible for people to go to
1: <laughs> they could to, cut your social security check they well, could stop sending them
0: sure 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 but but my point is is uh they, they're not um nobody is running an airline whose stated goal is like we're the way that you'll leave the US to go live in Mexico forever it's uh, whereas that's there's only one purpose for a rocket to go to Mars and that's for right. you to and leave I the guess, US and I, go I live
1: guess, my 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 question is is like Why? Why would? Why would we? Why would the government spend the effort to shut that down? What is the advantage to saying no? Don't go there. No, don't do this. What is the? Is it? Is it? Is it? Do we? Do we try to? Does the government want to try to create a new entity, a new kind of you know a U.S. trade zone on Mars? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure no, out like okay, you the uh, ship industry. Any,
0: any place that you have um, a desire to move, any place you have movement is where bureaucracies can oftentimes figure out a way to profit from the motion, right? They don't care. Fine. You want to leave Earth? You want to go live on Mars? That's fine. You know, just make sure we get something out of that motion from leaving here to go there. So it's like – and and – you know, how easy would it be to be a bureaucracy to be to be NASA and say, like, oh, we can't just have people flying around willy-nilly. That'd be irresponsible. We need to make sure that these are safe, and you've got to pay for basically like a TSA-type thing. The whole justification of the TSA is, now, that's just crazy. You can't hop on a plane and go anywhere you want without any troubles. You need to make sure that we tell you your stuff is safe. And well, so- you,
1: you again, remember, uh, airlines don't have to use the TSA. Airports can decide to use other means of security. They're supposed to use, A, secure that meets a certain minimum requirement, but they don't have to use the TSA.
0: Right. Well, it, fine. Uh, but but again, it's it's uh, uh, they receive matching. There, there's all these. There's a reason that. Oh, that, there's there's, this, yeah.
1: absolutely, and the and the FAA comes in and uh, of course. I I just I guess my 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 question is is again we we talk about the government, but you know every every four to eight years, this sort of there's a change, and then when you have Congress changes and you get different attitudes and temperaments about things. My my question is is that you know assuming that musk doesn't decide to go into stealth mode about this and this keeps to be open like we're going to colonize we're going to do this what would be what would be the plan if you're you're sitting to elon musk and you're you're sitting in the room by yourself thinking this what is your goal to allow you to do what you want to do do you go to the government and say listen we need to have extra you know extraterrestrial whatever trade zones or something because like think about cruise ships you know i've spent a lot of my life working living on cruise ships and Cruise ships, like I've flown, the most of the cruise ships I've been on have never been under American flag. They've been under the Panamanian flag. They've been under the flags of other countries because— Wow. Ta- taxi, like most of your cruises, you know, your cruises, you go look at, you know, what goes in and out of, you know, the, the ports of the United States. They're not American flag vessels. They're flagged in other countries because it's more convenient. It's like, you know, having your company registered in Virginia— And we're, the United States is perfectly cool with this, you know, because as long as the vessels meet whatever requirements we have and, you know, we would like to encourage them to be U.S. flagged, but if they're U.S. flagged, it means, you know, there's a lot of regulations and stuff that come into play that then make it much more complicated. But when those ships come into port, there are billions of dollars are spent in our economy and it benefits us if, you know, we build a Martian colony. It's going to mean billions of dollars are going to be spent in high-tech industries in the United States, building the technology and the equipment and the gear. It's going to be a humongous industry here to make this, you know, to to help sustain this. And even though we're going to go on Mars and try to make something sustainable there, the spaceship, the spacecraft, all the heavy hardware is going to be built here and possibly largely in, you know, the United States or, you know, other countries too as well. But, you know, you look at that, the economic boon that it has for that. And so would you want to encourage that?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, I hear where you're coming from and, and I don't know why, but just my default position is to be more jaded about it. And Sure. And, and
1: to... It's better to be paranoid. I agree. I think, I think, but if you're, if you're Musk and you're saying, okay, do you try to, do you try to cut this off and do you say, hey, listen, we want to do a colony. We want it to be, you know, we want to get a, 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 a have it be a U.S. zone. It'll be under U.S. law. But because you're going to you have a colony, let's say you have a colony of just a dozen people or a few hundred people, which is huge to think about. But a few hundred people, you're going to have to have law enforcement. Yep. You're going to have to have a justice system there. Yep. You're going to have to have, you know, a prison. You're going to have to have a way to deal with crime.
0: I mean, that's that's the uh, okay. So so let's. I I could totally see when it comes to yes we're colonizing yes we're taking people who are signing up and going to do all that those are all things that that they'll say to do but we don't have that in Antarctica right now we because we have small research stations right it's like this is a research outpost you and, can't
1: build a colony on it I mean you it is against no, no. the
0: law I, I understand I understand I understand and and I I believe technically that that's that that same treaty expands to all of space, right? That's why you're not allowed to build a colony on the moon.
1: You're not allowed to build um, uh, no, a, I don't think you can exploit the moon for uh, there's the, the moon treaty. I'm trying to run the moon treaty, I think is like up in a period, and there's: uh, right so so
0: he, back to the 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 question that you had was what do you what do you advise musk to do? You're there in the room, right and if 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 you want Musk to have success. With the least amount of difficulties as possible, then I would think, number one, I would say, never call it colonization, call it a research station. Wait until it gets around 10,000 people, then admit that you've been building a city on Mars. And then at that point, the but game theory is...
1: going to fall? For
0: that. Well, no, no, no. I mean, it's it's that it's that straw. It's one straw at a time. I'm not saying like you, I'm not saying you announce that you're going to send ten thousand people there. Send ten people there. It's a research outpost. Send hundred people there. It's a research outpost. Send I, another hundred. It's it's a research outpost. And then at some point, uh, and then once you've hit a critical mass, then right, you're like, it's not going to fool anybody. What do you it's What do you mean? Why, why, why? I mean, why, why? Why wouldn't it? We have we have two thousand people. Why? Who's
1: okay. going to look at this and go, Oh no, it's it's not a colony. I know it's self sustaining, but you know who's gonna Go, no obviously have we have, 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 have two thousand
0: how is it any different than Antarctica? We have two thousand people in Antarctica
1: right now. We have two thousand people. Can you can you buy a house in Antarctica? Can you buy no, a trip then, to Antarctica and, and buy would, permanent and you residence there? You, you would can't. Do
0: again, you would treat it just like Antarctica. I I, I don't understand why you don't follow this. You,
1: Everybody you, leaves Antarctica
0: like in winter. <laughs> yeah, then so again, you're like it's a research station. Come on out, spend time, Re- do research on Mars. It's you can have say,
1: private property on Antarctica. I so, I mean, you're, you're, so so you no, can have private property on Mars.
0: I I really I really genuinely am not understanding. Uh, the difference I'm not understanding the difference like why not just say just say you can't own property on Mars either yet and then say and just say for now it's just a, a research facility
1: so when I go there and I, I go, like, okay, how long do I plan on staying there? One is that, like, each one of those research stations is under a government authority, okay? you Mar- Antarctica's divided up into territories. There's territories that 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 are that fall into our jurisdictions, territories other people's jurisdictions. And then when you go to those research stations, they're flagged. They're flagged. There's the American flagged one. The Russians have their flagged ones. They're under a flag, okay? Now, if you and I show up in Antarctica with a couple of pickaxes... <laughs> and we're going to like hey we're going to go over here and we're going to go dig for stuff we're not going to be allowed to
0: yeah uh i i mean i guess i guess like do you think that there's a need for pickaxes day 1 you think nobody's going to mars unless unless there's property to be grabbed
1: I think that you're going to, first thing you're going to do is you're going to want to be on boots on the ground trying to find out what resources are there. You're going to be drilling and digging and looking for metal materials. You're going to be trying to build factories. You're going to be building industry. You're going to be building these things. Okay, it, up until you said the word industry, every single
0: thing you said was stuff that I would assume you would do at a research station.
1: And I guess but, but, there, but, there's but so much the more. But, I, but again, we're going to start mining the soil and trying to produce hydrogen. We're going to be doing we're going to be digging up the ground in the permafrost, pulling water out of there. We're going to be doing things that, that are to get as many resources as we can out of there, make it sustainable.
0: Uh, yes, yes. But but again, I, I mean, you're telling me – I mean, you've seen The Wire. You're telling me you can't figure out a way to label things that fits within the guidelines without not actually being the thing?
1: Uh, one, I've not seen The Wire. But two, I think that it's this – if everybody assumes this is what you're doing and then you're telling them that you're not – well no okay, first of all, look, and
0: again we're talking about the first uh, first fifty years of, of exploration and setting up there there's so much research to be done, and there are so many things that are justifiably important you know it's like it's like look well we need we need ballast for this we need to build these walls, so of course we're digging up some rocks to do you know it's like it's important that we leave the rest of the the, the planet untouched but but for here there's there's realities of, of we need material for all of these my, things. my, my question is the first five years lead Legally, legally, what flag is it under? Man, dude, I, I, again, it's like I, if, if I see nothing but trouble by declaring that early, that fast, that it's a colony and there's private property rights. I think that's an astonishingly bad idea. I think that's what that's would make- not
1: my, my question is when they set foot on ground, the first hundred people. Yeah. Whose laws are they using? Well, I mean, I, 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 that's a that's a great question. I mean, it's, that's it's, what I'm trying to find out. Is is that what do they what do they do they say do they come out and say? And I've I've thrown out there maybe it's a U.S. trade zone. I've said that multiple times. Maybe that's what Musk says. Like maybe he pushes for like let's create these extra Earth you know trade zones, and we want to be U.S. flagged or whatever. Is that what happens? Does it become? You know, is that what they try to do? That's my question. I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying they land on the ground and they say, F- you were part of the language that we're independent now. <laughs> right. You know, right. I'm saying that they land. I don't know, but I'm thinking, what's the logic? I'm, I'm genuinely trying to find out what's the logic. To me, it's like, you know, as they make this push for it, rather than try to be sneaky, sneaky, guess what we're really doing is they go to the government and say, listen, we think we should have a trade zone or something there or some sort of development zone. And it could be U.S. flag, but there are other countries that would be willing to do that. And, you know, and we'll just launch from there, man.
0: Uh, OK, so if not the United States and 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 I guess my aversion to doing that at all is just that you just open yourself up to to all kinds of bureaucracies telling you what to do. And if the whole point to go to Mars is to do whatever you want, which I'm assuming is part of it, if not the whole reason, then there's, there's, I, I if, if not the United States, who would you go to? And for what reason? Would it be like a, like a Liberia type thing? Or it's like, whatever, I just need a flag. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. And, I, and that's, I think that, you know, you're going to get into, and there's going to be an area of politics that's going to be interesting because you know, we're not going to be. It doesn't look like Mars is going to be like when we had to, when we colonized. You know, the Americas. There are tons of resources that we could that we could bring back from there to Europe. As far as Mars, there's not at this point. It's not like there's a lot of resources we need to be getting out of Mars, putting on a rockets, expending a, st- a tremendous amounts of energy to bring back to Earth. It's just not likely to be like that. It's going to be a really cool place to live, and it's going to be more like a Singapore or some place where it's known more for. It's just the technology that 's developed there, not the the things that are sent back, so that brings in this this different thing it 's one thing when you colonize something and then you you put tariffs on whatever's leaving port where there it 's like no, you know're you know, or, you know the, the facebook the next facebook 's being made there
0: yeah well, and that 's the thing is like once you get the type of talent that mars will attract it very likely will be an information economy it'll be uh humans will be the most precious resource on mars i would imagine there's one or two things that they could figure out how to manufacture more effectively on mars uh but i think it by and large it's going to be the atmosphere of discovery that's going to have it be uh, you know the, the the leading information economy
1: so brian brushwood gets appointed head of spacex right okay yep what do you do? What do you want to do? You, when I Literally the legal problem of like, we're going to have a thousand people there. What rules do we have? Oh, How do we govern this?
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Framed that way as a practical black and white problem. We have to have a code of conduct or whatever. Uh, my guess is that, uh, man. Okay. So in the short term, I would imagine that you appoint an authority, uh, like a a council, so that you can. I would I would imagine that less is more in general, right? I would say that
1: uh, that well, I'm going to back up for a moment. Okay. Okay. You have to tell me: Are we going to be American flagged, EU flagged, Chinese flagged, or no flag? I would say no
0: flag. I would say that this is a and and I would I would hopefully make sure that it's an international force of people that that because again. You're sending a message. You know, there's a bit of a PR element to to it, right? You're saying you want to send a message that we're all working together. I would say that you uh, have them elect their own council members. You uh, Can I interrupt for a second? Go for it. Go for it.
1: You've said you're no flagged now. Now, now laying over, let's say, loss of sea, things like that. Now that you are no flagged, should a rocket load of Chinese commandos land on Mars and take over your base— like ah uh, jeez okay
0: well the, i mean the problem is it's it it's
1: and and it's not a matter of like you would be if if you were american flagged you'd be waiting for the American commanders to show up it would mean if you're american flagged i mean back here on earth american government go to the chinese and say no this is unacceptable you know right right you know that they put pressures
0: on and they could they could apply certain things but but i'm gonna guess that with the first hundred at that point it's a story of american citizens who happen to be out there and and again it's a it's it's going to be an astonishing amount of this is going to be the PR battle. Like I think from mm-hmm. a practical oh, standpoint, I, just I, between I, us, <laughs> yeah, yes, clearly, right. Uh, but the uh, but the fact that if the news story is of this international 100 that's out there, 47 Americans are there, and now they're being attacked or you know being kidnapped by you know the the Chinese super force or whatever, uh, which is I'd like to imagine like a group of bad guys uh, coming from China, like. By virtue of being Americans, whether they're flying a flag that's America or the International Coalition flag or whatever, they will still derive 90% of the benefits of this as if they had brought the American flag with them.
1: Well, but then it comes it, it, one it, one when something anything like that would be premeditated, premeditated by some sort of legal declaration that, that, that there was that they had the Chinese had a legal reason to go take this over. So the next question is like, do they then say, okay, well that's fine, we're going to return your American citizens back to the United States? Huh.
0: Well, and well, colonies are ours. Yeah, I guess they can look. Isn't that isn't that the? Isn't that kind of the the law of the land? Wasn't that yeah. the way it
1: was in well, the, the new world? You want to fly under a flag of a power, of a superpower on the United States. Uh, I'll tell Earth. you what.
0: All I know is that a lot of people waved a lot of flags when they came to the new world, and it didn't go so well. Wasn't so peaceful. Wasn't so hot. Wasn't a good time or place to be. And uh, I, I, I'm going to say that that I don't see a lot of benefit to waving any flag unless you want to start a war back home just by virtue of having two of Well,
1: them and, you know, the... In theory, you know you look at the French Indian wars, you look at this, and you look at the idea that you want to have somebody backing you or helping you when we struck out from when we struck out from the British, first thing we did is we went to the French and we're like hey uh we're friends we're friends right let's have a treaty, recognize us as a real entity, give us legitimacy, and we can proceed from there you know that the need to have that sense of legitimacy certainly helps
0: so here's the question is a lot of the reason that we dealt with that before is because the new world was so rich with resources, and there mm-hmm. was so you know there was gold. Uh, later, there was there's oil and yeah furs and, uh, uh, and and of course land, which was in short supply and very much necessary. The fact that Mars has so little to offer, unless we find like some mass deposits of helium three or whatever, or, or uh, I, I don't know, I don't know that there's that much of a cause to fight for a long, long time. I mean it's I am saying we'll get there but by the time we get there we'll have a cluster of 200,000 domiciles on this side of the planet and 100,000 domiciles in this other section.
1: Yeah, I don't I think yeah, I think that the we're watching the 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 fighting over materials and resources is dramatically declining. It's still there but we point to we have to point to places in the world where you have conflicts to sort of look at that you know, we're finding new means of, you know, this is, we're 2014 and we're finding more hydrocarbons to use as fuel than we ever thought we'd have before. You know, you don't hear the words peak oil mentioned much. And because it's just, we're going through these energy booms that, you know, some people talked about said, Hey, this would happen. You know, people have said this 20 years ago, we're, we're called crazy that, you know, guess what? We're going to have these other, we're going to be finding energy in a lot more places on our planet, et cetera, aside. Anyhow, I don't think that we're going to have the same sort of problems that you know we we had before we'll have different problems we're very different problems it might even be inconceivable for us to imagine and so i just kind of looking trying to looking at this saying okay what's the first step is the first step saying we're you know do we create a new kind of zone you know we do we create a new kind of commerce zone or trade zone or something like that that would be the easiest step is then to go to a government and say hey let's create this trade zone this commerce zone it'll be under us law but like these free trade zones we're going to have our own economic structure what have you
0: yeah and i could see even once you go through the political bureaucracy to have this conversation with the united states i would imagine that they would see the benefit to number 1 promoting you know their culture as the basis the stand uh, the the standard upon which everything else is built. And I would see them asking for some kind of like sweetheart trade deal, like for, all right, any discoveries you make on Mars, we get a certain percentage and all of that stuff. So I could see it it working out in favor of, but again, the PR, the PR battle goes for two ways. So far we've been talking about the PR battle for the, the first hundred. I would imagine that's a tough PR battle for the United States to sell. Like how, how, how imperial does it look to have the United States make sure that its their flag planted on that world over there.
1: Um I think that uh I think that yeah I don't I don't think we're going to plant a flag. I think that the first mission there is going to probably bring the flags of all nations, <laughs> you know, and string them up so everybody gets to have a presence. I I I think that the diplomacy is going to be in full force to say, "Hey, this is a you know, this is a thing of the world and this is a place for the people of the world to be able to go to, you know, that any anybody anywhere who wants to live on Mars who is successful enough should be able to do that. Um, you know, anybody can buy a ticket. And so I think that'll, you know, that would be my guess is that, and I think the first the first person who sets foot on Mars, you know, if it's if Musk pays for this thing himself all the way, he's going to make sure that it's a a diverse crew. So that it looks, you know, it's not a jingoistic, jingoistic, you know, American first sort of thing. I mean, we'll all know that it was. But
0: So, hey, tell me this. When it comes to actually the nuts and bolts of colonizing Mars, I'm thinking about like structurally what's really different from, uh, yeah, if if you build in a asteroid or if you build in low Earth orbit or in geosynchronous orbits, you have to have a certain amount of hardened everything because you got to, you know, a, a fleck of paint will punch a hole in whatever Uh, How many, how much of that do you have to worry about on Mars? Is it the kind of thing where we could just inflate a few football field sized tents, you know, make it basically like Denver International? So
1: you're going to want to be, you're going to want to be digging in or having thick layers of material between you and the atmosphere. I mean, the sky, because the atmosphere is much thinner. So the amount of radiation you get is, is, is uh, increased.
0: Man, how much more? I thought I I, I thought I thought remembered last year hearing some kind of discovery where it's like the RADs weren't nearly as bad as they thought. I don't know.
1: Maybe. Maybe. It's still, you know, think about, like, the amount of radiation you get every time you fly in an airplane, right? You actually have to—pilots have to be monitored, and Air Force pilots have to be monitored for the amount of radiation they get when they're 30,000 feet up. So, you know, at 30,000 feet up, it's still a hell of a lot more atmosphere than there is at ground level on Mars. So— radiation is a consistent, real problem. So you're going to be digging out tunnels, you know, but there are lava tubes we've seen from space, lava tubes on Mars, like shafts that go down like several hundred feet. So there's going to be that, you know, there's going to be like, like natural quarries, basically, where you can get way, way down. And, you know, that's the exciting thing to think about is like all of the kinds of industries that all of a sudden come about, you know, Musk and SpaceX are coming up with, Hey, we're thinking, we think we're solving the problem of how to get there practically. We need people to figure out how to build there. Yeah. and hey, NASA's working on that. A lot of you know it's it's. So I know
0: on planet Earth that we're largely protected because of our magnetic shielding, right? Basically, we mm-hmm. have a the magnetic core puts out a giant magnetic field that deflects most of the solar wind. Uh, can can you is the, is there any way? Let Let's assume energy is no object, right? Uh, right. Magic fusion occurs in the next ten years, and all of a sudden, as much energy as we want. Is it a practical solution to run a a smaller magnetic field like basically shield magnetically your area or are you better off just you know filling it with a hundred million gallons of water over your head to protect
1: it we water because i mean the the energy requirement to do that would would literally i mean you're talking it takes an entire planet of acting as a dynamo to generate our field but you have i think it's like one or two percent of the soil is water yeah on mars So you've got, you've got, uh, you know, that's the most exciting thing is just how much water is on Mars. There's a tremendous amount of water on Mars. So your goal would really be melting, melting, you know, pulling that water out of the soil, creating, you know, terraforming it. And, you know, terraforming it, you know, looking at how we would try to do it now could take 100 to 1,000 years. Looking at what we technology we might have 30 years from now could take decades.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the other thing is that you, when you factor in a schedule for that stuff, you're sort of forced to not only think about what how you would solve it now, but, but it, it tricks you because not only you can assume that certain discoveries will be made, but even then most people will fail to consider the fact that not only are more discoveries on the way, but the rapidity of those discoveries is going to increase mm-hmm. as well. So all of a sudden, very, very quickly, suddenly something, you know, doesn't, yeah. what was the biggest problems becomes not an issue.
1: And we get in, we fall into that trap now too, because you have like, you know, there was a three or four years ago, there was a lot of investment in green tech and green energy. And, and And there's one thing to try to develop fundamental tech, but there's the other idea, well, let's start building solar panel plants now. And the problem is, is the solar panel plant you build now, five years from now is going to be Obsolete. Yeah, and you're you're better off taking that money and waiting for that point on the curve where solar energy is competitive with traditional energy, because of and that means you know keeping money going into development. But to try to rush to market with something before it's ready, yeah, won't work. And that's the same here. You know, it's that how do we solve this problem ten years from now versus how do we solve it now?
0: I'll tell you what, man if you want if you want to shift your perspective on the problems of the world. You can't do much better than for me uh, than to play Sid Meier's Civilization a few hundred <laughs> thousand times. Like once you like once you play the long game, once you intentionally put off build, uh, discovering the technology of a granary so that you could get to gunpowder faster, and, because you realize that you'll be able to take over a city that will have a granary or whatever. Like you start to think with that, those cold calculating numbers, like you were just describing.
1: Well, here's a here's sort of a Uh, Tangent note, uh, Tesla recorded a a record quarter for profitability. This is Elon Musk's other company, which makes the Tesla electric car. And he is going to unveil in the next week plans for the Gigafactory.
0: I don't know what the Gigafactory is.
1: So here's a, here's a, uh, I heard somebody talk about, they once listened to Ray Kroc talk. He is the guy, like the star, the guy, big founder of McDonald's. And he goes to do a talk, and he asks somebody, he says, what business am I in? And somebody raises their hand and says, oh, you make hamburgers. He's like, no. Somebody else, what business am I in? He goes, you're in service. He says, no, I'm in real estate. Yeah. And at that point, McDonald's was the largest owner of real estate in the country. And when you add a franchise, when you own a McDonald's franchise, the franchisee paid McDonald's rent on that. And that's where McDonald's, the corporation, was making the bulk of its money was from the rents paid, whatever. Uh, the way, that's the way it was described. What is a Tesla car?
0: Uh, well, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a cost-effective
1: electric car. We break it down into its component parts. What is it? It's, it's batteries and motors, right? Yeah, it's, it is 2,000 laptop batteries. Right. Okay, 2,000 laptop batteries. Tesla is fast becoming one of the largest purchaser of batteries in the world. Tesla's problem they have now is they say their supply constraints are limited by the availability of batteries. They could they could be making more Teslas and selling even more of them, but the problem is, is there are only so many batteries they can purchase. Is so it, Elon isn't Musk. There
0: talk about like uh, peak rare earth elements and and like peak lithium or whatever just to to get the the parts for these batteries.
1: Um, I mean that's that's more the the. The rare earth limitations have more to do with just restrictions on where you can, like you know, we were, you know, California was like one of the biggest producers at stuff, and then they just changed the regulations on what you had to production for it, and it made it inefficient to to mine it. So we started buying them from China, but it it, these things aren't that rare. They're just the places that let you dig for them, you know, are. Um, and it's one of those things where what seems like you know the 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 a slight change in the regulation can make all the difference between you know profitability or not. But his plan is to build the gigafactory. It's going to be the largest battery production there is in the world, and he's going to probably partner with somebody else. They may be building in the United States, and they want to make it solar powered, et cetera, all that. But this is going to be a billion dollar project.
0: So that's a lot of money. Number one, a lot of money. Uh, number two. Although, I don't know. It's like uh, what's a billion dollars is a lot of money until you realize
1: it's 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 three days. I'm throwing that number out there, I'm, but it's it's going to be in, in the you know it's going to be a big number.
0: Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it will. So I guess uh, are they are they doing it to provide and store their own power to to uh, I mean I... so
1: they're building they're doing this to build their own batteries for the Tesla cars. Number one is is that just they're running you know, because suppliers can't meet their demand. They've decided that they're going to go ahead and create their own batteries, you know, build them you know, themselves, maybe with a partner like Panasonic. And also, you know, Tesla owns SolarCity, which is, does installation of solar panels. And the idea, too, is like, listen, while we're producing batteries, one of the biggest problems with solar is when the sun ain't shining. Yeah, you got nothing. Well, and, and I guess that's that's been
0: the real problem with green energy in general is because you, you, the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. But theoretically, if you could capture enough energy and if you could store it effectively, then you could even yeah. everything out and power stuff overnight and so on. Uh, I seem to remember hearing some big talk about like some uh, some various, uh, I don't know, some kind of like liquid metal batteries. Am I remembering this right? Where it's like they're... They were so supercharged that it melted it. I want to say there was a TED TED talk about it.
1: Well, there's like there's a solar array, for instance, that they have, where what they do is they superheat the liquid and it goes into these tanks, and so even when the sun's not out, they can still produce energy from this like melted metal, or whatever kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, here it is. It's uh this uh it's a couple of of less rare. Elements that are put—it's completely sealed off all the way in—and it and it builds up such an intense amount of heat that uh, from the transfer of electricity that it actually liquefies the metals in there, uh, like magnesium and uh, and molten antimony. And antimony, exactly. <laughs> but they, that these would be so big, they would be in basically shipping container-sized batteries, was what they were saying. And then you attach a few dozen of these to like a hydro, you know, a, a, I guess a dam wouldn't be a hydroelectric wouldn't make sense because that does run all the time. But uh, but basically, like a solar array or something mm-hmm. like that. And then all of a sudden, you you break that down and and when essentially this becomes a technology as valuable as the granary was. For you know, it allows you to harvest all this wheat and store it through the winter.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's there's a lot of different you know directions they're trying to go in, and now we're looking at where Tesla is thinking that hey, we're going to drop a couple billion on building a huge battery factory because batteries are, you know, we need energy and and transportation of energy, and one just for their own needs, but they're looking at we think that there's going to be a bigger market, and that's. That's one of the things that may change the fundamental dynamics of how people look at Tesla. They all of a sudden they go from being a car manufacturer to like how GM is, where GM makes cars, but they make, you know, airplane engines. They make all, all sorts of other industrial technologies. And it's curious, interesting. So that's going to be, I think, this week or so we're going to hear an announcement about the Gigafactory. Which, but, and I, I guess what I want to get to is that here's the guy, the guy who's doing this who says, hey, I'm going to make a cool electric car. To I've got so much demand, I can now create the largest factory in the world for manufacturing batteries and fundamentally change the industry.
0: All right. Can we can we can we fantasize for just a second? Like, I
1: think that's what we've been doing, Brad. Well,
0: okay, let's but let's get sexy with it. Right. It's like I have enjoyed the story of Tesla. As an abstract idea, if you told me that uh, somebody was making a Millennium Falcon factory, I would be exactly as excited as I am for Tesla. It would be something intensely cool that I will very likely never see and certainly could not purchase. But then, like, as uh, you start looking... And it's like, you know, I bought a used car that I think came like a, a like I I buy used cars and then I drive them into the ground, right? Cuz I'm cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh like the car I bought was I think 26,000 new, but I got it like used for for like 14,000 or something like that. And it's been 5 6 years. And all of a sudden I realize like, man, the Model S starts at 60,000. I wonder what the used market for the Model S is. And all of a sudden it hits me like, how far off how far off is you, somebody like you and me from getting a Tesla? Like if you, if you have you driven to one or seen one or looked into that?
1: um I've looked into it. The problem I have is uh I live in a townhouse an apartment. I oh, can not plug to... it into anything. into
0: yeah, you're not going to just park it on the street <laughs> for, for well, it's just, there's nothing
1: to plug it into yeah, okay um I, I think yeah, I think that you know the the goal is they have what they call the Model X, which is the next version that they want to come out with. And the problem he has again is supply constraints, batteries. He needs to get the battery cost down, but the the, the Model X pricing is supposed to be like 30 or 40. And and it's going to use you know a lot of the the S sort of platform, but the X is going to be the one that you, you're piloting. Your kids, have you seen the? Have you seen the Model X? I've not. Uh, let me oh I God, look Brian, it up right now. So you got a Tesla Model X. Go Hang on, I'm in the middle of this.
0: looking at Auto
1: Trader for a uh, for a yeah. used and, 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 Model And S. It, He gets you know, the criticism like, well, he promised this this point, or he promised that at this Holy point. Holy ninety
0: two thousand. Wow.
1: Never mind. Keep going.
0: What's that? I, I just saw the the used one. 2012 Model S is ninety two
1: thousand. But It, only yeah, it depends 6, on what 000. it. Is. You know, but remember, one of the things that Musk did is he guarantees the resale value of them. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, that's a lot of money. So I guess the answer is quite a while.
1: Yeah, but but again, it's it's we're only a couple years into you know a year or two in the production. And if you go look at the if you go to teslamotors.com dot and look at the Model X. Yeah,
0: teslamotors.com dot slash Model X. Uh, it looks gorgeous. It's like an SUV. And,
1: yeah. Look at the doors
0: oh crap is this uh where, where how do those do those open like like wide like uh like uh like in the bootlegger
1: days like you're a gangster basically goal wing doors so you can very, you can park in a very narrow space and the door's still open
0: man that's awesome we're just drooling over this crap
1: so the uh they uh trying to bring out like the pricing it's like that's the like $40,000 or so, or at some point, or what is it he wants to have like the Model X. And then there's another model they want to do. The idea is that, that what Tesla did that was really particularly brilliant is you had a number of people who tried to come out with electric cars prior and they wanted to solve every problem at once. They're like, Hey, uh, you know, like I think 40,000 is supposed to be the price of it. Okay. And they've had people come, it used to be like, Hey, we'll come out with an electric car. And then we'll make it super low cost and we'll do this. And so people tried to produce the cheapest electric car they could. And what you ended up with was a product aimed at nobody because if you're poor, you don't care that it's electric. You'd right. rather gas is, you know, a, a cheap, small gas car, you know, is actually pretty fuel efficient and it's got no luxuries. It's it was a horrible trade-off, and you had no range, et cetera, whatever. Tesla comes along, Musk says, no. I think the first buyers are going to be the people who are the first ones to buy every kind of cool new device. Correct. I'm going to make an expensive, you know, but comparatively, you know, cool car. And that was the Tesla Roadster. And the idea was he said, listen, electric cars can go really fast. They can go really, really fast. So why not just run with that and create a sports car? And that's when the Tesla Roadster came out with that, and that was a huge success among geeks and, tech and other people. But once he did that, they said, "Okay, we think there's a bigger market for just kind of a luxury car." And that's when they came out with the Model S. And the Model S is now—I see them everywhere. Really, I've oh, never yeah. seen one in person, and I would love to. And and it's it's you know partially it's a California thing, but I, Brian, I see them every day. I I you will I see more Model S's on the road out here than I've seen, you know ferraris well i guess also yeah you
0: you you also being in los angeles uh i guess if you have an electric car you get to use the premium
1: lane to blow past everyone so you probably see them zipping past you and this is this is you know these are people who buy prestige cars but the same way the same thing in san francisco bay area you see them everywhere but i mean i i i don't i see one every day i see a model s every day in and and i'm always like and my friend's gonna be like tesla (laughs) (laughs) um so they're they're super popular here and they're they're in you know, there's it's not abating because the number of people who can afford that price range of car is pretty big in the luxury market and then the next level is to go with the Model X is to go down to p- who are the people buying big SUVs buying suburbans and that market's probably 10 times as big
0: yeah well i'll tell you what like it's uh, let's see if, if let's say this hits the same like $95,000 price point you're talking to a world that, uh, like, you, for a tricked-out high-end SUV, uh, uh, minivan, basically, you're looking at what, like, forty-nine, fifty thousand dollars. It's not a stretch to see, you know, as long as you're basically, you're talking about the difference between like a five hundred dollar monthly car payment to an eight hundred dollars. Monthly car payment, and especially if it's something where if, – if they hold up, and that's one thing we're waiting to see on the Tesla, if they hold up nicely for nine years, then all well, of a sudden taking a, essentially a nine-year payment plan makes sense.
1: Well, I mean this 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 next they're, – they're, the release that they want to put out in 2017 is supposed to be a $40,000 car. What? That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Man. uh how did this whole episode become like? This is what happens when Justin's not around. The show becomes way, like way, like unfettered. You and I just become nothing but but just fawns uh, for uh, just fawning over Elon Musk.
1: It's true. We need a hero. Yeah, we do. He's
0: gonna oh. take it. Do you think how much of of Musk? And this might be too heady. But how much of Musk and Mars do you think is is just another projection of some kind of gulch gulch, gulch fantasy of like take take us away from the troubles of America, Elon Musk?
1: Ah, uh, I mean he's yeah. Listen, this guy loves America. This guy's you know came from South Africa, came to here, and has a, a a an intense devotion to the ideals that make this country great. So I don't think it's so much that as much as just. Thinking, it's this worldwide sort of thinking of not thinking to the next level. The the thing that Musk does really well is he says, How do we check base assumptions? What are we assuming that we may be incorrect on? And he's done that repeatedly. He's, you know, from his involvement in PayPal to launching, you know, the Tesla company, Tesla was like, he, he's a guy, the thing that makes him special, I think, is he's a brilliant engineer, probably one of the greatest engineers of our time, because his ability to understand so many different fields of engineering, and his understanding of economics. And that's the, it's rare to get those things together. When you find somebody who fundamentally gets how things work, and then gets how finance and economics works that's where bill gates came from yeah. that's what steve jobs became you know he was a guy that did the economic side of it took him kind of struggled with you know for decades before he finally kind of grasped the the all around sort of thing on that and that's what thomas edison was that's what uh andrew carnegie probably was and you know that's what elon musk is he's a brilliant person who gets the science and engineering the technology he also understands economics and the idea that I can't start something for $5 million in funding knowing that I need 40. And if I fail at five, I'll never get that 40. I need to start here or do this or plan for failure, et cetera.
0: Yeah. You hear that, Elon?
1: Yeah, That's why we think you're pretty cool. <laughs> pretty awesome. So yeah, I think for him, it's just the idea of, of, just his, I think he, he thinks overcoming the paradigms that people kind of get locked into is this, you know, one, on one side are the people who are the wide eyed, you know, oh, let's build this future. We'll, we'll figure everything else on how to pay for it later on. And the other people are like, let's put our money here, but well, you haven't looked at the science. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. But, so you want to do picks? Let's do picks, Bry. I actually
0: didn't think to prepare any. So I'm just going to tell you what I'm reading right now. Uh, let me get make sure I get the name of it right. I just bought somebody recommended it to me on twitter so i'm only a few pages into it loving what i'm hearing so far it's a little book called bad science have you read this no yeah it's uh let me actually get the uh oh you know what i'm logged in in bonnie's account so i'm not gonna see it there i'm gonna look it up Hello. online over here bad man i wish i could fuse our uh uh, our accounts. It's so ridiculous that we both have the platinum account on Audible, and so I keep having to log log out on mine and then log in as her to use her credits, download it, and then log back out and so on.
1: It's yes,
0: <laughs> yeah, Get on that, would you? Ben Ben Goldacre is what it is. uh Bad mm-hmm. science. It is uh, basically a a little book on pseudoscience and so on. says a fine lesson on how to skewer the enemies of reason and the peddlers of of can't and half-truths is what The Economist says.
1: Sounds cool. So so you can give that. us a little taste. What, what, what's in store for us there?
0: Uh, that's a good. Well, well, I don't know. I I, I really got nothing. Basically, I don't, I, unfortunately, have
1: you read this book, Brian?
0: No, I'm only. I've just started it. That's uh, that's what I mentioned. I said I just bought it and I'm only in the first part. It's basically
1: okay, I was first part. What's?
0: Keep, uh, oh man. Tell me,
1: Brian. Tell me.
0: <laughs> uh, wait, Quacks hacks and big Flax. Sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm trying to find a summary to see if I can find it in there, and it's I'm not getting it. So basically, I don't know, it's just more, it's, it's more of the stuff that I love, you know, debunking pseudoscience. I, I,
1: I guess we're going to allow this to be a two-parter pick where you come back in another episode. There's that, that's, uh, there it is. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to pick something I may have picked before, uh, but I watched it again and I loved it, um, so you ever go through that thing where you're like on Netflix or Amazon Prime and you're clicking through? Do you see The Onion had this thing where Netflix to allow a browse all you want plan? No. It's, it's a joke. Like for six bucks a month, instead of, it just lets you look at the movies. Oh, that's hilarious. look through them, search through there for something to watch. Since that's of practically
0: actually... all we use it for anyway, yeah. I
1: know, it's sad. There is there is a, uh, when we're offline, I'll tell you, I have a solution to that, by the way. Um, so I, uh I said, you know what? I watched uh, watched War Games again. Oh my God. So rewatchable. So good. I really, really enjoyed uh, it. Those of you that haven't seen it, War Games was this movie from like 1984, I think. And let's see. War Games starred Matthew Broderick. It was directed by John Badham. And it's one of the most literate, 1983, 1980, one of the most literate movies about hacking before or since yeah
0: and- yeah it actually it, it it was astonishingly accurate both uh, both with the the reality of what you could do as far as you know modems those acoustic modems that you put in the cradle yep. to the uh, to the fact that you know the idea of 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 uh, you know breaking down a password like essentially brute forcing it but uh, but mm-hmm. thinking through the psychology of the person i mean that's
1: it's all real and you had you had moments in there with uh you know when they're the sort of the little lingo that gets thrown in the background like well they got through the firewall they got through this which this was 1983 right that they're talking about this so and yeah the idea of remember how like remember how we found the number for the the computer. Was he was using an auto dialer program, right? And basically what it was is, and I had friends that did this sort of thing. You take your computer cause you were trying back then you dialed into other computers using your modem and calling them on the telephone and you could take your phone, you could hook it up to your, to your computer and then you could have an auto dialer and you could say, look for every phone number between you know, 561-2233 and 561-3000 because a company might have a phone line that was open for that, and it would go through there, and that used to be the old way. That was kind of like how you found your open port, so to speak, was you would go have your computer just auto-dial all those phone numbers until it got another computer on the other end that responded. So a lot of cool moments like that. Um, you know, obviously the, you know, the, the, the AI in there was, you know, a bit far-fetched, whatever, but that was understood. That was the conceit of the story, and... Well, and also you had the MacGuffin of someone
0: being super brilliant who, you know, had a reason for, you know, being so light years ahead of everyone else. And mm-hmm. you, you, in it, inside the black box of a military installation, you could picture if there did exist a supernaturally complex intelligence, artificial intelligent being that, you know, they set the right environment for it, I guess.
1: And, and I'll tell you that this is that uh, the. When you watch the interactions with. You know the Joshua program. You know then, and you you look at what it did and what it did and did not do. You can make a program that could do that today. You can make a program that could think at that level and and function. I think to the degree that it did, um, because it's not you know getting terribly introspective, but it's just it, it it has certain needs it's trying to do and finding ways to do that. So, um, I would not not outside of the possibility. Forty years later, thirty years later.
0: So. Yeah, and you know what? And and we've talked about this before, but I'm convinced that no generation will experience a decent horror movie the way you and I will have, having grown up in the Cold War. It's like you just you just can't put enough emphasis on how bizarre it was to live in a world where oh yeah, you were, you're constantly convinced every everything was about to die.
1: Yeah, I mean we were. Yeah, I mean the the, the degree of. Of, you know, obviously, you know, 9-11 was the idea that, oh, maybe somebody, you know, could this happen to whatever, but it wasn't the idea that, oh, you know, we're all going to be fighting over cans of Chef Boyardee and living on the back of motorcycles and, you know, on attached to bikers by chains in the Mad Max universe. Uh, and it was, there was that. And, and I think that it just it reinforced certain of our, you know, the adults around us to sort of put this fear into us because it just confirmed to their own biases. yeah, yeah. But, um, I again, highly, highly recommend it. It's fun one. I also, I watch Ferris Bueller again, which is just
0: does that. Does that also hold up?
1: Oh yeah, that <laughs> is a that is such a you look at the moments in that movie and the little things that, that John Hughes put in there, the little touches in it, and it's, it's a... I enjoyed it much more than I thought. I mean, I would love the movie. Like, how fun will this be to watch it again for the millionth time? I loved it. That's so. awesome.
0: So I, found, I finally found that table of contents and, uh, like, the first thing he jumps into is this whole... the very idea of of detoxing that everyone uh, likes to do. They're like, oh, I'm doing this detox, this, this fruit cleanse or whatever. You know, these enemies or whatever. He talks about the history of Uh, How there's in every single culture, there's been the idea of the purification ritual, the idea that your normal life is filthy and you need to cut it out with some kind of purification thing. And uh, now we're into the second chapter is where I'm at, where he talks about brain gym, which I guess is huge in the UK uh, in the public school system. But I've never seen it here, uh, which I suspect is kind of like the lumosity thing, I assume. The idea that there's exercises to get your brain super strong or what have you, and there's a bunch of nonsense you do rituals for the body but i like i like the way he cuts through it and he gives like a reason for why these things are so appealing to us
1: yeah sounds cool sounds cool I, I think that uh it's always it's interesting too because you you read some of those books and then people will be like yeah i like this but you know that thing that he said was wrong that you know, there is something to homeopathy or oh, there's something to this or whatever and you get the people when it touches on their own area it's like well yeah <laughs> yeah we all have that. Uh, Ryan this has been delightful I don't think we need Jason
0: Uh, listen I think Jonathan is a delightful important part of the show and I look forward to his return someday
1: yeah someday spinster Justin Robert Young well you know without Justin I gotta say it's been weird